The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. I'm excited to get into the Word, kind of need to get into the Word. I mean, this is a really big week that we've just stepped into. There's a lot of things going on. I'm excited for those things. Uh, I'm a, a bit of a, a political guy. I mean, that's, that's kind of part of my world, so it's very easy for me to, uh, to get excited about weeks like this week. Uh, for some, it'll come and go, and it'll just be another week, and, and for others, it'll be a really big deal. Well, I fall in the really big deal category, so... You know, it, it's something that my, my thoughts are, are centered around a lot of times, in fact, to the point that they, they ought to be adjusted and, and reevaluated. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of things this morning that I think are important to, to consider. If we're going to put the brakes on with, with a week like we're facing this week and say, I want to go into a week that's this important with my priorities right, I think we ought to, to consider what, this, what the Word says, what the Scripture says about uh, things that uh, uh, are governing and things that are government. You know, this week we're going to be uh, celebrating an election. It's a wonderful part of uh, being a, a, an American citizen. It's a, a very crucial uh, part of our future, and every election is very important. I know there are a lot of people that say that this is, you know, the election of our lifetime. This is the, the, the most important election ever. Well, they say that about everyone. I mean, that's just kind of what they say. There are elements about this election, though, that are unique. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm a young guy. I mean, I'm 40 years old, and I've seen a, a handful of presidential elections in my adult life, and I can tell you from my perspective, this is a really important election. I mean, there are a lot of things going on. Now, the reason why I'm not shy to talk about these things, I'm very careful to, to uh, in, in some companies, some of you might laugh when I say this, I'm very careful to not be too uh, uh, opinionated but I do think it's important to talk about some facts and issues and things like that. So here's, here's what I want to share with you. Well, the, the point of, of that is to just say, I want you to think about the, the, the country that we live in, the United States of America, the church. I want you to think about the church's role. Do you realize there was a time when, when people got their news from the church? I know that seems like, well, those are, you know, olden days. They also, you know, rode horses. And, and, I mean, that's true. Times have changed. You know, they didn't have handheld devices where they could choose, you know, the app of the news media outlet that best suits their political, you know, thoughts and ideals and constantly got fed the same, you know, line of, and I'm going to use this word not being tacky, but propaganda that, that lines up with their views. People pick their, their news networks based on their political views. In fact, it's kind of rare to see people who will intentionally cross over just to stay either open-minded or aware of what all's going on. And I think it's important. Let me tell you something personally. I found this to be really interesting. And of course, we're, we are. We're going to get into the word. But I found it really interesting that I got better news and not just better news as in like, wow, that's good news. I mean, more accurate, balanced news by watching the Australian news. I mean, that'll blow your mind. It's like you would think that you could tune into American news and get the best news on American politics. Not true. I mean, I will watch Sky News Australia, and I will get a much better account of what's gone on on a daily basis in the United States. And it's important that we just consider things like that. So the reason for even bringing that up is, as I'm telling you, there was a time when it wouldn't be considered uncommon, it wouldn't even be considered political for the pastor to stand and deliver news, that people gathered at the church, they had their, their meetings at the church, and news was, was spread. So I don't shy away from those things, and I don't think we ought to. I don't think we ought to label them you know, uh, political platforms or things like that. We ought to just simply understand that we're a body that are all pursuing the will of God, the truth that God's calling us to walk in. And when we look at these things, that, that needs to be the, uh, the mentality behind it. So when we're talking about these, these media outlets, these, the news that we are, are dealing with this week, uh, the election, you can watch one network, you're going to hear one thing. You can watch another network, you're going to hear another thing. You can, you can listen to one poll that says one thing and another poll that says something completely different. I mean, it can make you a little batty. 
And, and for me, I think that ship has sailed a long time ago, but I'm starting to feel it where you're thinking, I don't know that it is healthy to have such uh, schizophrenic information flowing my way. Eventually, if you are what you eat, you know, that's going to have an effect on me. And it's going to make me be unstable. It's going to make me be inconsistent. And I want to look at the scripture because the scripture promises us something really incredible as it concerns government. It promises Jesus. I mean, Jesus is all about government. I mean, being a Christian is about government, big time. I've pastored a congregation where there were serious uh, offenses taken when government and religion would not be separated. Now, a lot of people would, would cry out, you know, well, there's you know, a, a room for the separation of church and state. Well, it's very important for us to understand that the separation of church and state has always been to keep the state out of the church, not keep the church out of the state. I mean, you had an entire nation that was birthed by people who were escaping a state-run church, the Church of England. People came over here, risked their lives, risked their fortunes, risked their futures, all for the freedom of worship. So when we talk about separation of church and state, if we take on the mentality that that means there can't be faith in politics, that there can't be religious conviction in politics, then we have taken the bait and we've been deceived. The reality is who we are as believers shapes our decision-making. It shapes our thought process. It has an effect. My daily choices are affected by my Christianity. If I were to be in political office, my daily choices would be shaped by my Christianity. That's how it is. So for us to consider these things, I want us to understand that the Scripture is about government. We're going to see that. We're going to find some passages there and Obviously, like I mentioned, this could be the bee in my bonnet, so to speak. These are things that are a part of my world even when we're not in election years. So some of the passages and some of the thoughts may sound uh, familiar, but I, repetition is a wonderful thing. I mean, everyone is hungry for revelation. I want to have a word from God. I want to see something fresh in the Scripture. But I can tell you that it's repetition that will make the revelations in your life a reality. I mean, I have heard a number of things, information has come my way, but when repetition begins to be celebrated, those things that I once just heard then become actually a part of my makeup and who I am and how I think and how I process and how I respond. So I want to get into the Word. Uh, here's a few things we're going to find. A few things we're going to find. One, why Jesus came. Why Jesus came. Now, I mean, this is kind of an interesting thing. We could, we could spend a lot of time on it, and we, we probably won't, but, you know, I'm always asking questions like, why? I think that's important to ask. I mean, I remember when I was young and, and grew up in church, I mean, it was in my later years when I actually was, was born again and had a real encounter with God, but I had a lot of encounters with God when I was young, when I was a kid. I mean, I would talk to God, he would talk back, I would pray, I would read, I would do all of those things. But in my, uh, in my older age, uh, when I was 19 actually, is when I surrendered my life and was born again. But the reality is that, that God's doing things, and I remember in my, my youth just asking God questions about things. I mean, why would Jesus have to go through all of that, you know? It was probably around a, a resurrection Sunday and, and churches were putting the imagery of Jesus being beaten and crucified, you know, and, and like a, a tender-hearted child. I mean, I was pretty tender-hearted as a kid. That's why I'm so mean today. I got it all out of my system when I was young, right? But, but you, would, you would see those images and my thought would be, why? I mean, why? You're God. You, you, you didn't have to do that. Why would you do that? And, and so I think when we ask those kinds of questions, it's important. And we're going to see in the scripture, you know, why Jesus came, what, what he accomplished in his coming, in his crucifixion and resurrection. Another thing we're going to find is what never stops growing. And do not make jokes about my waistline. What never stops growing. I told you I'm a young man, you know. That's all relative. I feel like I'm young, but everyone told me, you know, when you turn 40, you can see my, my glasses from Dollar General that I'm wearing right now. And, and then, you know, like last night, I, I, I had a very, very, very late night and, and was thinking, you know, you've worked really hard. 
you should go to that 24-hour burger joint and eat a burger. Man, when I was young, no problem. It, it almost made me sick. I, I mean, now I have to ask, well, what time is it? Nah, I shouldn't eat that, you know. I mean, you know, so things change, you know. But there's one thing that never changes. There's something that will never stop expanding. And you got you to gotta just sit and think about that for a second. I mean, we can say that we're in church, you know, we're starting to get comfortable in our seat. We're, you know, maybe you're a little cold, maybe you're a little warm. Your mind can start wondering. But consider that, something that never stops expanding, that will blow your mind. I mean, I kind of get made fun of because I watch the same things over and over. I listen to the same things over and over. I, can, I, I have once had the same CD in a truck from the day that I got the truck until the day I sold the truck, right? It's like, well, I need to take my CD with me, you know. Them's my tunes. <laughs> and... You know, I don't mind that. I can eat the same thing all the time. Many of you probably notice I can wear the same clothes all the time. You know, I mean, I'm not hiding it. It's, it's, I'm okay with that. Uh, some people, they need something different every, every day and sometimes multiple times a day. I'm just not one of those people. But I'll, I'll get made fun of because I watch the same things. I think I have watched, uh, you know, a, a, I don't know if you'd call it a documentary, but the, the universe, right? And, you know, some of it is people speculating and all of that, and some of it is, is outside of, of, of my opinions and my views based on the Scripture. But I'm watching it, and it's just because I love seeing these pictures, these, these images of space, and it constantly expanding and spreading out. And you'll sit there and you'll think about it, and, and whether you think about it just as the concept or you try to think about it mathematically, or it will blow your mind. So when I say something that never stops expanding, I mean, it's easy for that just to sound kind of like a thing. But consider that. It never stops expanding. And when we find out what it is, it'll be really exciting. Uh, a third thing we're going to find is what happens when Jesus reigns? What happens when Jesus reigns? Now, there's no doubt about it. Jesus reigning in your life is an awesome thing. I mean, it's a great thing. But sometimes, you know, I mean, have you ever prayed for something and, and then God responded to your prayer, you know, favorably? You basically got what you asked for and then you thought, uh, can I have a do-over? You know, so the world will say, be careful what you wish for sometimes. Well, when Jesus is reigning, there is something that we will see that comes with it. And we're going to find that in the scripture. And it, it's a great thing to know, one, to be aware that you're, 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 Christian experience is, is normal or to be expected. And, and then another thing, to be prepared. What does it look like when Jesus reigns? And then also to evaluate your life. If that's what the scripture says it looks like when Jesus is reigning in my life, why doesn't my life look like that? Do I need to surrender to Jesus? Am I doing things my way, not his way? Okay, so here we go. That was a lot of introduction Let's get into the scripture. If you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, I want to look at verses 14 and 15. Now, I told you before we're going to find out why Jesus came. I mean, what, why, what was God accomplishing in that? It's more than just, you know, theatrics. It wasn't, hey, I want to get everyone's attention, so let's make a really sad story about a really good guy being unjustly beaten killed and then coming out of the grave. I mean, that, that would be an attention getter and it might, you know, sell some movie tickets and, and, and sell a few books, but there's more going on than just theatrics. I love this passage of scripture because it reveals so much about what Jesus has come to accomplish in my life and in your life. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, Jesus himself became flesh. I mean, you can stop there and realize that everything that follows this is going to be explaining why Jesus would empty himself of all godly privilege and come here. And I shouldn't say godly privilege, but all of the privileges of being God and come to earth as a man. Jesus himself became flesh so that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. I mean, right there, what you're seeing is he came to defeat our adversary. The one who held the power of death, the one who held the keys, the
the one whom, whom could uh, operate in an authority that had been handed over to him by Adam himself. Jesus came in the flesh so that through his death, he would render powerless the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. And it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, and that he might free those. Now that's, we're the those there. That he might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Subject to slavery all of their lives. I mean, for you and for me, without Jesus' coming, without him defeating the one who had the power of death, we would be those who were subject to slavery all of our lives. I mean, I want to emphasize a word there. Now, we can get drawn to the word slavery because we, we understand that's terrible. And, and in this political climate, you know, the concept of, of slavery in this country's past and things like that has been a very hot-button issue. People's willingness to accuse others of racism has been just... Uh, ridiculously uh, imprudent, and, and, and it has been a, a horrible slander. There's been a number of things that, that would, would cause us to look at this passage of Scripture and emphasize the word slavery, but I want to emphasize a different word. I would like for you to think about the word subject. Because of this fear of, of this death that's held by our adversary, the devil, because he holds this uh, seemingly holds this advantage over us without Jesus, we then become subject, subjected to or subject to. I mean, if we consider it as being subject to, it means this thing now has authority in our lives. Much like if you were considered a subject of a kingdom or a subject of some domain. So you can see this is, is all of a sudden now becoming a little bit of a political situation. I mean, Jesus coming or Jesus not coming is going to have an effect on who is in charge of our lives. That's very political. It's very much government-oriented. That word subject there is a really powerful word. I want to give you a passage of Scripture from Galatians so you, we can get the, the point of, of these things. I mean, Jesus came to change uh, who we would be subject to or what we would be subject to. In this case, it's both. Galatians 5.1 identifies what his desire is for our life. I mean, if there were to ever be a platform or a political promise, if Jesus were a candidate running for the one who would reign over your heart, you could make this his political statement. It is for freedom that Jesus Christ sets you free. And then there's this instruction. I mean, we love that concept. That makes a great bumper sticker. It makes a great... A statement or cadence, it makes a great t-shirt, it makes a, you know, a great Christian bookstore, whatever. Coffee mug, you name it. But look at the backside of that scripture. It's for freedom that Jesus Christ sets you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. So I've become a believer now. Jesus has done this great political work in my life. I mean, government has changed in my life. He has set me free from that which I was once a subject to. Now I'm liberated from that. That freedom that he set me free to, to walk in is a part of my life. And the instruction that would come to me through the scripture is to maintain that, to hold on to that, to not lose that, to continue to stand firm and not become a subject again to slavery. It's pretty interesting. I mean, this concept of freedom, I mean, that Jesus came to set me free, makes my wheels turn. I mean, I live in, in, in the United States of America. I'm an American citizen. There are certain luxuries that I have enjoyed my, my entire life that are very easily taken for granted. Uh, just the concept of freedom. You know, I mean, honestly, I've never thought more about freedom than I have this year because I feel like it's under attack. It's the reason for, for even examining and looking at it. I mean, I, I, it just was always there before, and now that it's being tampered with, I, I feel like I need to pay closer attention to it. I mean, the concept of freedom, by definition, if somebody were to ask me, you know, what is freedom? I would, I would struggle to, to offer them a response or an answer. I would have to, to think. It's not something that I have put thought into. It's not something that I've researched. It's not something that, that I have paid attention to because I never had to in the past. Freedom was a given. 
It was understood. It, it could go unstated because it was just simply there. Now that it's being assaulted, I think it's important that we do study freedom, that we do look at it, that we, we identify what it is. Even so, in, in something as important as this upcoming election, we can support those whom support our freedoms. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. I want to know what that is. So freedom, I mean, by definition, I, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with the dictionary. You know, I really do. I, I love the dictionary. I mean, honestly, I've, I've mentioned before, if you're building a library for, for your study and your growth as a believer, I mean, obviously the Bible is necessary. A concordance is great because that's the words that make up the Bible. And then a dictionary. I use a dictionary as much as I use any other book. Because if we don't understand the words that make up the word, it's going to be hard to, to have a good understanding of what God's saying. So if we look up the word freedom in the dictionary, here's, here's what you're going to get. Tell me if this helps you. The state of being free. Well, thanks a lot, Webster. Appreciate it. So then that leads me down the, the, the trail, right? I mean, the state of being free. Well, now I need to look up the word free. Because what does that mean if I'm in the state of being free? So you go and you, 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 you thumb over to the word free, and here's what you'd find. Not held as a slave or prisoner. So basically, it, it is for liberation from slavery that Jesus Christ set me free. It is for freedom of, of, from prison that Jesus Christ set me free. I can substitute those things in that passage of Scripture that we read out of Galatians without altering the meaning of that verse. In fact, I'm enhancing the meaning of that verse by using words that are more descriptive to me for my understanding. Jesus set me free. It is for freedom from slavery that Jesus liberated my life. The other definition of the word free, that first one was not held as a slave or prisoner, the second one is having the legal or political rights of a citizen. Legal or political rights of a citizen. Now, when I read that, then I'm getting intrigued because I'm thinking, well, man, what's a citizen? I need to look up that word now. What legal and political rights do I have because I am a citizen? You look up the word citizen. One entitled to the rights or privileges of a free person. Second definition. One who is native or naturalized and owes allegiance to a government that it is entitled protection from. I'm considering these things and I'm realizing now when I read passages of scripture that talk about me being a citizen of the kingdom of God, I'm thinking well, this is really great. It's more now than just something that I can say, a cadence that I can, can you know, confirm that I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, but I can understand what that means. It means I'm entitled to God's protection. His, his, his kingdom, all of the, his jurisdiction is there to provide protection for me. Uh, that, that I have the, the rights and the privileges that are attached to his kingdom. I mean, this is kind of a, a funny thing. I don't have it with me, but... Uh, have you ever read your passport? I get really bored when I travel. And, and I'll run out of things to read, you know, because you can only carry so much stuff, especially today, because if you have anything, you know, with you, they charge you an extra whatever to get on board the plane. I remember the days when you could take, like, your whole house and the kitchen sink with you, you know. And, and, and those were the, the good old days of travel, you know. And when I bought a suitcase back in the day, it was about the biggest one I could buy. You'd be shopping for luggage, and you'd be like, look at that one. That one's big. You know, now I look at it, and it's like, you can't have that one. They'll charge you a fortune to carry that one, you know. But, but you know, when we, when we look at these things, I think it's important for us to consider that what it means to be a citizen. I mean, when I read my passport, my passport is an instruction to the, the countries that I'll visit to give me the, the rights that I have as an American citizen. It's literally this statement saying, this guy is with us. Please treat him as such. All the reverence you would have for the United States of America, its political power, its military power, its financial power, this guy gets all the perks and benefits of that. 
He's with us. That's what your passport says. Treat him with all of the courtesies that you would our, our highest ranking diplomat. He's one of us. And it makes you really kind of proud. You realize my citizenship is worth something. It means something. It's more than just where I live and the dirt that my home is built on or the place when, where my, my mother birthed me. It's, it is the protections and the rights that now lead and shape and, and guide my life. And when we consider citizenship in God's kingdom, we ought to consider it from that perspective. So that it becomes more than just, well, one day I gave my heart to Jesus, you know, when I was a kid, so I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. No, every day of my life is shaped by that same truth that's in my passport. He's one of us. Everywhere I go, there is a testimony in the heavens. He's one of us. Treat him as such. You cannot abuse him. You cannot kick him around. If you kick him around, you're kicking all of us around. He's one of us. The same for you. I want to give you a passage of Scripture to confirm this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. You're no longer strangers and aliens. Now, some of you I wonder about being aliens. I'm serious, man. I mean, like, I, I, we have conversation, and I'm just thinking like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, I'm sure you feel that way about me, too. We're no longer strangers and aliens, but now fellow citizens. I mean, that's a word that should be underlined, circled, uh, highlighted. I mean, if you write in your Bible, I mean, that's a word that should be emphasized. We are citizens with the saints and are of God's household. It's a really big deal. I want you to, to consider a passage of Scripture from Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. I want to give you verses 13 and 14. What you're going to see here is, is this uh, wonderful transformation that happened upon you being born again. And I want you to think about it after we read the passage of Scripture from a political standpoint. Jesus is politics. Here we go. Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So you see there, the he is God the Father. God is at work doing this in you. He's doing this through Jesus, and he's doing it for you or on your behalf. God rescued you from the domain of darkness and then transferred you to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I mean, when I read this passage of Scripture, I mean, I use the word political because of the climate that we're in and the elections and stuff. The word that should probably be used is government. Because if you consider Jesus to be a politician, we're going to interpret that through our experience with politicians, and many of them are absolutely corrupt. And there's no corruption in Jesus. But government is what needs to be considered when we see this. And we need to consider that, that God's doing something as it concerns government when we become believers. The words that will indicate that in this passage of Scripture in Colossians are words like domain. Right? It says that God rescued you from the domain of darkness. If you look up the word domain in the dictionary, it's going to say an area or a territory owned or controlled by a ruling government. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. In this case, it is because it's a domain of darkness, right? But that domain means that it's an area, a territory, ruled or controlled by a ruler or a government. And then he transferred us into the kingdom. Well, that's a very government thing. It's a kingdom. There's, there's a change here in, in area or territory. There's a change in who is ruling, who is uh, uh, governing this, uh, this area that then our lives become a part of. If we're rescued from a domain of darkness and transferred to a kingdom that is ruled by Jesus Christ, there's a massive change in government when we become born again. That's what being born again is. It's a change of government. Being born again was a change of government in my life. I remember the moment that it happened. I recently got reacquainted with it because of some paperwork that I had to do. How many of you guys knew that I was still on probation? 
I didn't know that. I'm serious. I, I contacted a, a couple of offices. I had to file some paperwork, and they said, well, how many times have you been arrested? And I said, well, how much time you got? You know, and they said, well, we need to know them all. And I said, well, there was, there was this, and there was this, and there was this time, and there was this one thing over here, and there was this time here. And, and, and they're searching through them, and because they happened so long ago, and, and so many things have changed, you know, I mean, I, I, they wrote things down on paper back when I was a thug, you know, and, and that paper has long since been shredded. I mean, it's gone. So a lot of these, these places, sheriff's departments and all, they didn't even have any record of that. You know, I'd call them and I'd be thinking they were going to answer the phone and be like, it's him, it's him. And instead they're like, who are you? Who? Uh, but there was one, there was one place that I, I had to call and, and get some paperwork done and they still had a, a record of a, a, a activity that I participated in and they, they knew, that, I mean, they just, you know, they had it there. And, uh, and I said, well, I need to get paperwork that says, you know, what, whatever came of that. And they said, well, we actually show that you're still on probation. I thought, well, I haven't checked in in a while. So <laughs> I, I'm sorry about that, you know. Uh, we laughed about it because they knew that it was a mistake. They actually said that it happens a lot, you know. They said, we're so busy processing people in that when they don't cause trouble and, you know, and it works out, we don't, we don't even take time to process them out. And I thought, well, please take the time and process me out, you know. And, and they did, and they sent me a letter. So uh, that was nice of them. But there's a lot of things that, that we, we need to understand and celebrate as it concerns Jesus. When I was born again, there was a change of government. That's what my being born again was. It was a complete change of government. I mean, my life was ruled. I, I was in this domain of darkness. All the choices, all the decisions I made, I had zero authority. I hated the things that I was doing in my life that were destroying my life. Massive addiction to alcohol. Other things that I had dabbled in that are, are, are gross and foul, and, and I'll spare you the list of those things. I'd have no problem talking about it, but, but it just would, would, would be a distraction. The point is, is there were all of these things. I knew they were, were, were slimy. I knew they were icky. I knew they were destructive to, to life. And there were many times where, I mean, I lived by myself in the middle of nowhere, and I, I think my dog probably wanted to run away and find a new owner because I was just weird. Nightly, I would just have these, these emotional outbursts and start crying because my life was miserable, and I hated it. And I knew that I was, was killing myself. I knew that it was destructive. I knew that, it was, was, I knew that I was a liar and a, a cheat. I knew my whole life was a scandal because of these things that were in my life. And I would make these declarations to, to quit and all of these statements. And I remember I would take all of my alcohol and in a drunken fit pour it all out. I did that all the time. I mean, the, the people that ran the local liquor store loved it because I always had to go restock afterward. It, it never worked. But then when I was born again, for the first time ever, my words and my actions were backed by the authority of the kingdom of God. There was a change of government in my life. Just like that passport says, hey, award this guy every courtesy you would, anyone from the highest office of the United States of America. Because he's one of us. When I was born again then, I could deal with those same things, and I had to deal with them. They didn't just magically disappear. It wasn't like I became a Christian and there was never a temptation again. But for the first time in my life, what I would say to that temptation or the choice of the decision that I would make and declare over that temptation actually had power behind it. And that was pretty awesome. All because of what? A change in government. Change in government. I mean, government is huge in the scripture. And <clears throat> oftentimes for us, because of this, this thought of, you know, separation of church and state, and all of this garbage that we get fed through a propaganda machine, we get put in the position where we separate government from faith. We don't even relate the two of those together, you know. Uh, if, if pastors talk about politics, they're seen as, as, you know, taking advantage of their pulpit and how dare he and all of this this is crazy. The scripture is about government. You're being born again is about a change in government in your life that leads you from this abusive, uh, uh, tyrannical authority that is, is standing by, destroying your life, and moves you into the kingdom of one whom would lay down his own life to see you live. 
it's kind of a no-brainer. You think that the, uh, the upcoming elections are, are a no-brainer. I'm telling you, this is a no-brainer. It's a life-or-death situation. And I remember the moment that I made that decision. I, actually, I was in a Travis County Jail. I never had to do a long stretches of time or anything because I, I worked and I always had money and could bail out and all that. I mean, it was just, it was, it was not a hard thing for me to, to get out of jail, but I was in jail and I, they weren't letting me out for, for uh, uh, I mean, I was in there for a, a couple of days, I guess. But I just remember a moment. I remember a moment when there was a, a, a realization. I mean, I'll tell people stuff, and you know, when you tell people your personal testimony and things like that, it's, it's risky. Because you don't know if it's going to translate or if they're going to kind of get it. And oftentimes you're having to express things that were perceived or felt, and, and it can just make you sound maybe even a little nutty, you know. <clears throat> but the only way that I can describe it to you was that I became aware of the truth. I mean, there were physical sensations and just things like that. I mean, it was, but it was just like I just, the, it was like the lights came on. I mean, if the lights were off in here and then somebody turned them on, it would just be this change. I became aware of the truth. And the prayer wasn't, you know, a, a stereotypical sinner's prayer written on a card. I just was talking to God, and it was in this moment of, of, realizing the truth and the, the statement was this I have taken my own life and am destroying it I, I repent for that I mean I'm sorry for that I want you to have it I want you to have it and that prayer is, is so goofy and simple and, and maybe even a little bit on the, the cheesy side it's not like it's going to be written and printed and hung on walls, you know. I mean, it's not the prayer of Jabez. Oh, and here's Preston's prayer too, you know. But when you think about what was said there, it was a, it was a, a I have been my own governor, and I want you now to govern. I need a change in government. That was when I was born again. I mean, we need to see our new birth as a change in government. If we do not experience a change in government, then we need to be born again. I think it was John Wesley who preached, you must be born again. And, and the next night, you know, they had a crowd and he preached, you must be born again. And the next night they drew a crowd and he preached, you must be born again. And he continued to do this. One of the church deacons came up to him and said, you know, uh, brother, we're so glad you're here. As you can see, the town is receiving you well and we thank you for that. Uh, when will you preach on something other than being born again? And he said, when you're born again. <laughs> when we're born again, there's a change in government. If we do not experience or know a change in government, then we ought to be born again. And for some of us, it's going to mean being born again again in our own eyes, even though there's no such thing as being born again again. I'm just telling you that if we've never been taught this, if we've never seen this in the scripture, if we're not aware that all of this is about government, then we could really miss what Jesus is doing. What God's doing in this transfer from this domain of darkness or this area ruled by an authority or a government into the kingdom of Jesus, which is the area ruled by Jesus. I want to give you a passage of scripture out of Daniel, Daniel 7.14. What you'll see here in Daniel is this magnificent uh, picture of Jesus receiving his authority from God the Father. Pretty amazing thing to consider. And you can read through Daniel and just bulldoze right through it and, and miss out on how incredible this uh, imagery is. The fact that we would be given a glimpse of the actual uh, distribution of authority from God the Father to Jesus, I think is amazing. And I'm going to start reading in verse 14. And to him was given a domain. Him there is Jesus. The one who's giving it is God the Father. And to Jesus was given a dominion or a domain. Dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His domain or his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will never pass away. And his kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. 
So, you know, we hear that, we think about that, and we just think, wow, that sounds incredible, sign me up for that. But even again, I'm asking why? Why is it that this king will never lose his kingdom? Why will his kingdom never be destroyed? Why are kingdoms destroyed now? Because kings die. Jesus will live forevermore. His kingdom will never go away. We see kingdoms change here because they topple. Jesus will never be defeated. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. His kingdom will never go away. This isn't just something that we say to convince ourselves that we've made a good choice, that my side is the best side. These are truths and realities that will not uh, be compromised uh, no matter what takes place at any given point in time or outside of time. So I mentioned to you before what never stops growing, and some of you are probably thinking this sermon never stops growing. He goes on and on and on. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. What never stops growing. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Remember, we're talking about your relationship with Jesus being about government. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Now, I love this passage of Scripture I think it is one of the biggest schemes of the devil that certain passages of Scripture would be given to Christmas and Christmas alone. That we would pull them out every, you know, once a year and dust them off and celebrate them with routine and tradition and, and things like that. I have no problem with routine and tradition, but I think this is a passage of Scripture that could be read every day for a year, and every day for a year your life would be improved by it. It's not meant to be celebrated annually. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Now listen to this. I mean, let these words come off the page and be like, wow, I'm not telling you you never saw it before, but maybe you haven't. For a child will be given to us and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now then here is verse 7. I told you what never stops expanding. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. I have to ask myself, is that my relationship with Jesus? Is there no end to the increase of his government in my life? Or was it capped when I said the sinner's prayer? Yeah, I'll give you my eternal destination, but, but don't tread on me when it comes to my daily choices. Yeah, I'll give you my eternal destination. I acknowledge that you're real and you're out there somewhere, but day-to-day -day thoughts, what I look at, what I listen to, who I associate with, and the things that we do behind closed doors, none your business. Is my relationship with Jesus conditional as it concerns government, or can this passage of Scripture describe my relationship with him? Jesus, there's no end to the increase of your government in my life. There's no part of my mind that you can't have access to. There's no decision or choice that's off limits for your influence. There's no end to the increase of your ruling and reigning in me. My relationship with Jesus is very much a relationship founded upon his government. It's a government thing. Jesus talks about government when he talks about the kingdom of God. I mean, the scripture says that he preached the kingdom of God everywhere he went. Matthew 4, 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In John 10, 7 and 8, he, he says, as you go, preach, tell people the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Freely you received what? The government of Jesus Christ. So freely give it. You see this awareness, this understanding that my relationship with Jesus is about his government. 
His ruling and his reigning in me, the fact that I'm saying it, there's no limits, there, there's no part of me that's off limits. Take all of me, have all of me, or have none of me. Come and rule and reign in me. That precedes what we all seek and celebrate in our, our Christian walk, you know, as we pursue the, the power of God and the signs and the wonders. Jesus is saying it's pretty simple. Focus on my government. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons freely as it was given to you, freely give. Freely as you allow me to govern in your life, let the benefits of being a citizen or my government flow through you. It's a pretty amazing thing. Luke 10 verse 9, he, he's calling uh, for healing. Heal those who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Again, it's a government thing. Now, here's what we make things like that in the church today. And I grew up in a church like this. We make them faith things, not government things. Faith things, not government things. Now, I could make an argument or a case that faith and government are, are really connected. You know, that, that faith isn't about uh, believing in the existence of, but faith is about putting your trust in. Well, so is government. I can't have Jesus rule and reign in my life without trusting that he's not going to destroy me. I mean, I'm going to make a vote on November 3rd. I'm going to choose someone that I believe, will, that I can trust with my future and my sons and my family and, and, and the assets that have been built in my life and all of the things. I'm making that choice. I think a platform that says uh, we're going to alter your, your rights, we're going to, to limit your assets, we're going, I think that's a pretty bad platform. I, I wouldn't choose that platform because I'm going to choose the one that is going to support what God has called me to do and what he's equipped me to do. We make those choices and decisions based on those things. And Jesus continues to talk about government. Matthew 12, 28. When he talks about freedom and liberation from, from demonic activity. He's being accused of operating through the, the authority of the devil. And he says, no, no, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God because the kingdom of God has come upon you. Because the kingdom of God has come upon you. Because the government that God has instituted is present. Because our ability to function and operate as citizens is now present, that we now can call upon all of those protections and all of those rights that are attached to his kingdom as our own. It's pretty awesome. And then you consider, you know, what makes up the, the kingdom of God. Now, we've talked about this, and oftentimes we'll pull it out on the 4th of July, and, and I like to recite parts of the Declaration of Independence, you know, and, and those documents are amazing. And they're profoundly spiritual. And I, I would encourage every American citizen to have a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Have a copy of the Constitution. Uh, in my office, there, those things were, were there on my, my credenza. And, and it's amazing how often I would pull them down just to, to read through them. These are important things for us to know and understand. They make up who we are. And if our world becomes, you know, Facebook and Twitter, we're in trouble. And I want to just say that. If you have, are not aware of the censorship that has gone on, I never in my life have felt like I could, could relate to living in Soviet Russia than today. When there is a propaganda machine that is picking and choosing what information goes out, that is bad news, people. And it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with uh, appropriately and effectively. And I can tell you the loudest voice in dealing with that is not a Senate hearing. It's with you. My encouragement to you would be like, you know what? Call your loved ones. Delete that off your phone. Let them, let them see the biggest user dump they've ever experienced in their life. And, and let them know that they're not going to lead this nation they're sure not going to lead me. But the kingdom of God is, is, is a wonderful uh, and powerful thing. By the way, the United States of America is not the kingdom of God. A, a, a certain political party, you know, whether Republican or Democrat, is, is not the kingdom of God. I don't belong to a certain political party because I believe that that's the God, the God party, you know. I do pick and choose who I associate with and how I vote based on convictions from the scripture. 
But I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God and what makes it up. Romans 14, uh, verse 17. The, the kingdom of God is and it, it, or consists of these three things. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I want you to consider these things. Now, you've heard, we've heard this before because we've talked about it. Again, around the 4th of July and stuff, we'll talk about Declaration of Independence. But I want you to consider those things your unalienable kingdom rights. When we talk about the United States of America and we talk about, you know, these self-evident truths, you know, that all men are created equal, you know, and we talk about their, the, the rights that we would have, the life and the liberty and the pursuit of happiness, those things are listed there. And that's become a bit of a cadence and, and most people are familiar with it. But in the kingdom of God, we see that we have what can makes up or consists of the kingdom of God consists of and there's three things listed there, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The same way that I would zealously embrace that as an American citizen that I, I have this God-given right to, to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, I see in the scripture that the government that God has brought into my life grants me the right to righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. No matter what's going on because of Jesus, I have the right to righteousness. I don't have to be swept away in sin and immorality. I have a right to choose righteousness. Peace, I don't have to be swept away with anxiety. The whole world can burn down and go to hell, but I can be at peace. I have that right because of Jesus. I stand on unshakable ground. Though the whole world collapse around me, I can stand firm all because of Jesus. It's my right. And then joy. No matter what sorrowful, difficult, or tragic situation I'm surrounded by, I have a right to joy because of Jesus. Now, there are attempts throughout my life constantly that are going on to violate these rights. And I'm now in the position to defend these rights, to stand upon these rights. And so, so are you. And for us, I think it's important to understand something. I want to tell you the most important part, in my opinion, of the Declaration of Independence. I mean, the whole Declaration of Independence is this wonderful and powerful document talking about separation. It talks about the patience and the endurance, that this isn't something done lightly, but it's talking about the seriousness of changing governments. Now, there's a very serious thing when you were born again, the changing of government. You see the parallels there? But one of the things that the Declaration of Independence states is why government exists. Why government exists? If you've ever asked yourself that question, why? I mean, why do we even have government? You can see within the, the founding documents and the Declaration of Independence being one of those that there is a reason why government exists. So we, we go through the, the, the real popular part, you know, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then most of the time we, we stop there, you know, because that's real patriotic, then they fly the flag and everybody cheers. But then you find out why government exists, at least in the eyes of the founder or founders, excuse me, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. That, to me, is the most powerful and important statement from that document. The whole point of government is to secure these rights, not to obscure these rights, not to withhold these rights, not to place conditions upon these rights, but government exists to secure these rights, to defend these rights, to see to it that these rights are unobstructed. And when I consider my kingdom rights, you know, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, I can see that my government does exist to secure those rights. Jesus exists in my life on a daily basis to see to it that I have access to righteousness, that I have access to peace, that I have access to joy, that those things go unobstructed and unwithheld from my life. That's good government. And I'm concerned right now the only good government that can be found is found in Jesus. 
I'll give you a couple of passages of scripture here as we, we begin to close. I want you to understand something about the, the government of Jesus Christ and the, the kingdom of God. I'll, I'll give you a passage of scripture here that's going to back it up. But that your words and your actions are very powerful and effective in defining where your government exists, where Jesus' rule and his reign lies in your life. Let me give you the passage of Scripture, and it'll probably take shape. Just sometimes it's best to let the Word do the talking. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. The kingdom of God does not consist or exist in words, but in power. The kingdom of God doesn't exist in words, but in power. Let me just tell you how I want to apply that to my life this morning and how I want to encourage you to consider it for application in yours. That Jesus' government in your life isn't just something you say. It's something you do. It doesn't exist in words alone, but yet power, your choices, your decisions. We could all stand and make a declaration that, yes, Jesus is my king. Jesus is where I receive counsel. He is the government that exists in my life. But then the rubber meets the road at our first point of decision-making. The kingdom of God isn't something that we just raise our hand for, or we sign up for, or we vote for. Rather, the kingdom of God is celebrated, embraced, and reinforced in our life with every single choice and decision we make. It's not in words, it's in power. If it were just in words, then everyone would line up in droves to say, yeah, count me in, and then we would live our lives however we felt. But the reality is for Jesus to govern in our hearts and our minds and his government to be true, it will be revealed in our choices, our decisions, and our actions. I want to give you a final passage of scripture here. I mentioned to you we're going to find out what happens when Jesus reigns. What happens when Jesus reigns? Uh, I want to give you a passage of scripture out of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. If you have your Bibles, turn there. I think it's, it's good to put your eyes on it. <clears throat> this passage of scripture will become increasingly familiar to us as uh, the Christmas season approaches. I mentioned to you earlier as it concerns Jesus and his birth and the scriptures attached to that, that I think it's one of the biggest schemes of the devil to limit those things to a season in our year. But I want you to, you're going to be familiar with this passage of Scripture because, you, you know, you'll, you'll see it in, in Handel's Messiah and the music that we'll, we'll sing. And it's not that the Bible took it from him. You know, obviously he took it from the Scripture. But consider this passage of Scripture, Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The song is in your head, isn't it? And he shall reign forever and ever. And then the ladies, and he shall reign forever and ever. Yeah, you know. So that's the government. It's government. It's about Jesus reigning. The kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll reign forever and ever. What's it look like once Jesus starts reigning? Let me read that passage of Scripture, and then let me read the passage of Scripture immediately uh, following that. So here in Revelation uh, chapter 11, when we get to verse 15, we come to the part, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. It goes on to say then that the elders who sat on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, O God, God Almighty, who was and who is. For you have taken uh, this great power and have begun to reign. Did you hear that? You've taken all of your power and all of your authority, and now you've begun to reign. And then verse 18 and the nations were enraged. 
When God begins to reign in our lives, get ready for the world to get super ticked. Right now, if I wanted to start a riot on any social media platform or even any public place, all I would have to do is begin to speak Christian truth. The more that Jesus reigns and rules in our lives, the more angry, intolerant, aggressive, abusive, and and psychotic the world becomes toward believers. I want to offer that not in a a gloomy or or a, a dark perspective, but rather I want to offer it to you so that we don't feel weird when the world hates our guts, so that the world doesn't kick me enough that I finally say, you know what, I yield. I back off. I'll be quiet. But what I can understand is, no, this is to be expected. The more Jesus reigns in my life, the more you're going to hate my guts, the more you're going to call for me to be removed. You're going to call me intolerant. You're going to call me names. You're going to call me racist. You're going to call me all these things. I see it coming because God told me it's coming, and that's not going to cause me to be ashamed of the ruling authority and government of Jesus Christ in my life. And then I have to ask myself that question. When the nations see Preston Humphreys, are they enraged? I mean, it's a good question to ask yourself. It might feel a little narcissistic or maybe a little arrogant, you know, like, who do you think you are? But when the world and the spirit of the world sees your life, is it enraged? Or is it okay with you because you're not a threat? The only reason why we would be a threat in the first place is an uncompromising yielding to the government of Jesus Christ. That our, our, our thoughts, our words, our actions would all be subject to his rule and his reign. And when those things become subject to his rule and his reign, you begin to see his will carried out on the earth. And that's what enrages the nations. That's affecting how I vote. That's affecting how I behave. That's affecting how I I talk and speak and, and respond to situations and circumstances that rise and come my way. That's affecting who I am. It's affecting how I do business. It's affecting how I minister and how I function. It's affecting every aspect of my life. Because there is no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And it's my commitment to see to it that that scripture testifies of my life. And it's my desire that that scripture would testify of your life too. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Your relationship with Jesus... is all about government. It exists in the form of personal contact and personal relationship. It is not an affiliation with a party or a group or a denomination. But I believe that we can become so fixated on a personal encounter with Jesus that we write our songs about him being our friend And I love those things. Those things are true. That we can forget that he's our king. And that that relationship is meant to be a relationship in which he governs our lives. Not by tyranny. Not by control. But by sacrifice. That he would speak gently, leading and guiding. That he would empower choices and decisions and actions. I'm living proof that the government of Jesus Christ being celebrated in your life opens the door for power or I would still be in bondage today, if not dead. I praise God for for the power and the authority of his government. And I want to ask this morning, I want to pray for all of us that our eyes could be open to this as as a, a, a truth that we would see our relationship with Jesus Christ, our being born again as a transfer of government, and that we could begin to embrace that transfer of government by committing our lives to seeing Jesus function as our King in every moment of our existence. And I want to trust and believe for the powerful results.
to follow. So there where you are, you can be in agreement in prayer or simply a state of receiving. But I want to pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We receive it as truth. As we receive your word today, we ask in Jesus' name for there to be a powerful effect. Let it be for us. Let it spill out from our lives onto those around us. That there would be an awareness of the power and the authority of this governmental change that you have ordained for each one of us. To be delivered out of the domain of our enemy and into the kingdom of our righteous King Jesus. Let there be a transfer of this knowledge and this understanding to each one of us that would have a powerful impact on our hearts and our minds. Let our hearts be shaped and molded that we might become more like Jesus in in our lives, in our living, in our thoughts, in our actions and words. And let our minds be renewed that these would become the foundations of our relationship and fellowship with you. Understanding that this is the greatest act of love that you could ever pour out upon our lives. Deliverance from tyranny. And to be established in your house as citizens of your kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name for there to be an awareness and an insight into this wonderful change of government. And let it not be something that would simply exist in word, but let it be in power. That we would testify with every choice and every decision that Jesus is king over our lives. And be honored and glorified, exalted and lifted high as we celebrate his rule and his reign in us. And let the nations be enraged as they watch your favor, as they watch your will be carried out. And your goodness and your power flow to and through your people. We bless your name and we thank you for this change in government. And we rejoice in our King Jesus. Let us forever be transformed. We rejoice in this and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.